I'm Kerry Hayes, Deputy Chief of Staff at the City of Chattanooga, and you're listening to The Scanner, a podcast from Mayor Andy Burke's Council Against Hate and the American Diversity Report. Almost 30 years ago, Chicago writer Stud Sturkle published a book where he referred to race as the American obsession, and arguably that obsession has only grown in the decades since. So much of what the Council Against Hate focuses on and tries to combat originates with racialized hatred, particularly the violent ways the white supremacy manifests itself in its interactions with people of color. But underneath these violent encounters are countless episodes of discrimination, intimidation, and harassment, sometimes subtle, sometimes very explicit, that are rooted in hundreds of years of internalized racist attitudes and acts. Where these things linger, they self-perpetuate, and we see this revealed in almost every public and private system in America, from education and health to the way home buying and small businesses are financed to the functions of the criminal justice system. A lot of major organizations, including the city of Chattanooga, are working hard to make racial equity training a core part of how we operate. We were the first city in Tennessee to affiliate with a government alliance on racial equity, and we intend to make sure that every single city employee takes part in their training within the next year. We see similar programs underway among many of our major employers, foundations, and other institutions. But I was curious about what anti-racism looks like at the grassroots level and what it means to people in our community who are concerned but not sure where to start. That's why I'm so glad that our guest today is Sarah Marquez Baristecki, who co-facilitates the anti-racism and cultural competency work of Bridge City Community Church in South Chattanooga. Sarah is a third-generation Mexican-American Chicana who was born and raised in Texas. She's a nationally trained community organizer, and she was inspired to develop ARC after relocating to Chattanooga to join Bridge City Community Church. Sarah and her husband, Jonathan, live with their kids in the Eastlake neighborhood of Chattanooga. Sarah Marquez Baristecki, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. So I want to talk a little bit about your work uh, through Bridge City Community Church that you and your husband, John, do. But I, maybe a constructive way to start would be for you to tell us how you define racism and what definition makes the most sense in the context of your work. Yeah, I think um, the easiest definition that I usually try to give is prejudice plus power um, is how we define racism. And that usually looks like, you know, societal power. Um, so Ibram Kendi, who's written a lot on this subject and has done a lot of uh, um, commentary about anti-racism, uh, has a really interesting quote that I wanted to get your, your thoughts about, uh, where he's talking about uh, the perceived difference between anti-racism and not being a racist. And he says that uh, trying to be a not racist is a term that signifies neutrality, but there is no neutrality in the racism struggle. The opposite of racist isn't not racist, it's anti-racist. One other endorses the idea of a racial hierarchy as racist or racial equality as an anti-racist. Does that some, does that, do you agree with that? Does that resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, when I try to explain what anti-racism is, it's always kind of this idea that we acknowledge that racism exists that we acknowledge that we've been socialized um, in a racial society and that to dismantle that, we have to do kind of an action. Um, so anti-racism is, you know, by definition, it's an actionable word, um, description of a process that um, we can all enter into. And how do you teach it? What does that look like when you're facilitating a training? Yeah, I think for us, um, I really like to spend time with people um, so for our facilitation and training, it ideally is a five-week process that we meet kind of an hour and a half to two hours weekly. Um, and it really allows for a lot of introspection and um, a kind of an internal process. Uh, we have a lot of emotions when it comes to the conversation around race and racism. Um, so I really like to give people 
kind of that launching pad and to lay a really kind of solid foundation. Um, I think you can always get good information from a two, three hour workshop training. Um, but I think just kind of a longer space, um, a space where we kind of grow and trust with one another, uh, we grow in a process together, really allows people to do a lot of internal work, um, kind of the harder work. Um, and then I think it, at the end, really helps people to to really think about this as a lifelong journey and not just kind of a training that we check off. Um, but yeah, and so that I, I really, we go through kind of the typical topics, um, implicit bias, unconscious bias. Um, we talk about, you know, structural racism, interpersonal racism. We talk about our internalized superiority and our internalized um, oppression. Um, we go through kind of ethnic identity, whether that's white identity, kind of um, helping white dominant culture see themselves as kind of a collective, uh, when the tendency is to kind of see themselves as individuals. Um, and kind of give that process for people to go through. And then I really like to end it with kind of just talking about power mm -hmm. um, and power dynamics and how that's really important process to understanding how racism operates around us is to understand power. And in a city like Chattanooga, who needs this type of training? I think we all are kind of breathing in air um, of a racialized society. And I think we're kind of internalized narratives that have been with us kind of since we were born. We're inheriting a long legacy um, of slavery, segregation, um, intentional policies that are affecting people of color. And so we kind of are born into a society that inherits this history, this narrative. And so I really believe everybody, um, everybody should go through this process of, of anti-racism. And you had mentioned the importance of making sure it's not seen as a as a box that's checked or something that's done and then and then moved on. Do you feel though? Is there a point? How how do people feel that they're making progress in this work once they've made the decision to engage with it? Yeah, um, I think sometimes it looks individually. I mean, it's just individuals, people's stories, and how they're interacting. Maybe the spaces. Um, you know, I think how are they interacting cross culturally. You know, what kind of spaces are they entering? Are they entering spaces where they're not the dominant? I mean, I think it's really hard. It's not a set set of rules that you kind of like, oh, okay, I've, I've come to this. Um, but again, with anti-racism, it's an actionable term. Um, it means we take actions to, you know, whether it's policies, whether it's we're addressing things in our institutions, um, whether it's even talking about it within our family unit, um, our children, um, the decisions we make about where we live and where we send our kids and the places we inhabit, who we um, decide to share relationships with. Um, I think it's, it's kind of just a whole process of, of what that looks like. Yeah. Um, and how did you personally come to this work? What was your point of entry? Yeah, so for me, I'm a third-generation Mexican-American, originally from Texas. Um, so in a lot of ways, I've lived kind of in and out of spaces in and out of cultures, kind of not really from Mexico, um, but often feeling outside of maybe American dominant culture. Um, and so for me, it was just a process of like being able to do a lot of inward work um, to name some of the ways that I've had assimilated or carried shame about my own culture um, to kind of fit in or to t disappear in a lot of ways. Um, so it was kind of a journey of that. I think when I had my, my daughter's about to be 10, and I think when I started having kids there, my kids are multi-ethnic. And so um, 
it was kind of an exploration of my own ethnic identity and then thinking through my children's identity and what kind of world I wanted them to be a part of, what kind of space that I want them to be a part of, and I wanted them to be able to embrace the different parts of their cultures and histories. And so it was a very personal, I think, journey for me that that was kind of my point of entry. Um, it was definitely a sparked, it sparked through, I would say, kind of the Black Lives Movement, Black Lives Matter movement, um, where I got to explore my own anti-blackness um, and even kind of uh, confront the anti-blackness within my own Latino community. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's a very personal journey for me, and uh, I feel like it should be for everyone. And I think out of that grew just really a passion to want to help other people um, go through that process to create common language and um, grow in our capacity to talk about hard things. Um, so that was kind of my very personal entry into anti-racism work. Do you find that people are more uh, are more willing to engage with this uh, topic over the last, I would say, five or ten years? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's amazing, though, the language that we're using kind of almost mainstream, I would say, where there's just, I mean, an extent of extensive amount of resources out there right now, whether it's books and conversations. And I think where, where we are even politically in our climate right now, we're just kind of very exposed and fractured um, about our history and how we're going to move forward together when there's so many fractures in our communities right now. So yeah, I definitely feel like we've we've moved forward in the conversation. Can you think of are there any particular stories that you'd want to tell about people that you've worked with, any any particular journeys you've seen or or things you've witnessed since you've been doing this? Yeah, I mean uh, I think let's see. I think for people of color, um, I think it's a powerful experience to be able to name what you go through and the experiences you're having having. Um and so I think for, you know, if I'm thinking specifically about black and Latinx um, peoples, they don't necessarily need a training on what they experience. Um, but I think that there is a healing and power in being able to name it and kind of a collective, oh, yeah, that's what that is. Um, I think a recognizing of this is, oh, this is a social dynamic that's happening um, can be a really powerful experience. And I think for our white participants um i think just kind of the awareness uh, a growing internal awareness and then it really informs kind of all parts of their life you know they're they're really questioning oh why did i buy a house here and um why don't i have friends of color that have come over for dinner um and then even thinking to some of the people that we've done trainings with locally have been do like nonprofit work and so what does that how does that inform their work and how they interact cross-culturally and think about power dynamics when they're interacting with communities of color in Chattanooga. Um, yeah. One of the things that we often um, talk about uh, when we're thinking about this work is we say that every system works the way that it's supposed to. Mm -hmm. And if you're not getting the outcomes from that system that you want, then it's, it's because the system was not designed to produce. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I think once people start to reckon with that and start to see that uh, in their own day-to-day -day lives, it, it's pretty powerful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you approach this work uh, very much through the lens of your faith and, and your work at Bridge City Community Church. Is that a necessary component in your mind for it to be successful? Um, I mean, for me personally, it is. I don't think it is for everybody. Um, 
I think people have their own process and how they connect spiritually and what they connect to higher power. And I don't think they necessarily have to be a part of my faith, particular faith, to be an anti-racist. Um, I think for me, it's a, a reckoning with the church's history of white supremacy uh, for me to be doing work outside of the church. Um, and even though our trainings are not faith-based, um, I mean, we, we can offer a faith-based training, but um, yeah, I think there's a, a bit of reckoning and healing um, that can come through that the church is kind of spearheading, um, intentionally trying to be an anti-racist church. Um, when when we know in America they've they've upheld the systems and the status quo, and so uh, for me, my faith is informed and vice versa um, by anti-racism and justice, and um, I, I those things, the gospel and justice, are not separate for me. Um, they're deeply intertwined, and in recognizing the humanity in one another um, and how we belong to one another as humans. Um, is just really important. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about ARC, which is a new, uh, an offshoot of Bridge City Community Church or something new that you're you're working on? Yeah, so ARC is, stands for Anti-Racism Cultural Competency, very simple, um, but it is, it is a training, a facilitation that we offer um, and trying to really be contextualized at Chattanooga. So, you know, we can always have great resources and trainings that come in um, to Chattanooga and talk about, you know, racism or whatnot. Um, but I feel really passionate about kind of, I'm invested here in this community. I'm committed to community members. I'm committed to Chattanooga. My children are, we, our family is, uh, we're putting our roots here. And so um, just to be able to offer something where we're kind of going to go through this journey together. Um, and then there's a bit of accountability that we hold with one another because I understand how <laughs> institutions are working and operating and power dynamics are working locally. Um, and so we really try to kind of mirror the anti-racism national work that's going on right now and then really kind of to contextualize it to Chattanooga and how can we move forward together, um, you know, to be an anti-racist city, really. Yeah. So when you think about that city, what's... Um what does that look like when you're when you're casting a vision for what you want Chattanooga to look like or cities like ours in the South to look like? Uh, as your kids get older, as you're sort of thinking about the city that they're going to inherit, I'm um, curious to hear, hear what your sort of vision is around that. And then sort of at the same time, you know, is there something people listening to this podcast, what's one action that one person could do that would sort of start them on this, on this path? Yeah, okay. So I think um, when I think about our city being anti-racist. I, I think it's just really people being committed to, first of all, I think learning. Um, and I think the first step is to, to carry some humility that maybe you are not seeing all of it um, and that you might have some blind spots. And so that humility really opens up a door to learn, to be aware, um, and to reshape a new narrative. I, I think for Chattanooga, um, it's such an interesting city where we recognize some of our history, our Native American removal, and you know different projects like the Ed Johnson Project, um, and at the same time still having to deal with some deep racial disparities. Um, and so I, th I think first I see our city just really trying to learn together, um, learn from one another, and really dismantle a typical power dynamic where, um, you know, the, the history of, of who 
owned land, who had lots of money. I feel like there's some deep pockets in the history in Chattanooga. Um, and what does that look like to share power? Um, and what does that look like for communities of color to have a say in their future, in their present and their future? Um, and I, I think the, the idea of anti-racism is that you're not perfect. You don't become, like the quote said, not racist anymore. But it's a continual dismantling and being aware and communicating with one another. Um, and then I think working together to really address some of these deep issues that we have, these economic and disparities, this disparities we have in education, and um, that my kids, you know, really are, you know, my kids are in a public school, and they are also affected by all of that, too. Um, and I think that's what I think by casting a vision, you know, we can definitely talk about the practicals of what that looks like, um, organizing and communities being you know, walking in their power and things like that and having a voice and at the table. Um, but I think overall the easiest way to say it is that we are committed to the process, you know, um, to one another. And, uh, you know, it's a term I use often to, that I really carry deeply is that, you know, my liberation is tied up to your liberation. And, and to really mean that with one another and not be a, you know, paternalistic, idea um, but what does it really mean that we belong to one another um, and I think that would be my my big vision for for Chattanooga um, and I would say you know for people that are like where do I even begin um, there's so many resources out there right now honestly there's just so many books and topics um, and I think for me I really like people to really uh, see themselves. If I was gonna, if I was gonna break this up and say, okay, white dominant culture, what do I want you to do? I really want you guys to, to do the internal work, of of recognizing your own culture, recognizing your own whiteness, um, and you know that's not always comfortable, but it, it can be a really powerful way to move forward with one another. I think um, when we can understand ourselves, and then we can really be present um, to a space with one another. And I always say that that's a good place to start for people. That's wonderful. Okay. Well, I think we'll leave it there. Sarah, thanks so much for the time. Thanks so much to Sarah for her time today. You can learn more about her work at dismantleracism.com. Thanks also to Carly Dodson at WUTC for her production assistance. If you would like to join the work of the Mayor's Council Against Hate, please visit cha.city/against-hate. We have several events coming up, including an event about discrimination and bias in the startup world on October 22nd, that's part of Startup Week Chattanooga, a panel discussion on November the 6th about journalism and extremism, and our next big public meeting at the Camp House on November the 12th that will feature Christian Piccolini from MSNBC's Breaking Hate. Details and RSVP links for all of these events are on our website, cha.city slash against hate. This is The Scanner, a production of the Mayor's Council Against Hate and the American Diversity Report. Thanks for listening.